Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. If you'd like to find out more, head online to our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning. I'm Annie. It's really good to virtually meet those of you that I haven't met before. How are you doing this week? I'll be honest, my heart has felt really heavy this week and I imagine that I'm not the only one. And so preparing a sermon around Moses crying out to God in hopelessness felt somewhat appropriate this week. So here we find the Israelites on their way to the promised land, complaining again, a nation that are so blessed but seem to so easily forget. Sure, living in the wilderness wouldn't have been fun, but God has literally brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he's revealed himself to them over and over again. However, instead of gratitude, they complain. Today we're looking at Moses and what we can learn from his honest outpouring to God. But first I wonder if there's something for us to reflect on from the Israelites' response. A lesson for us as God's people. The Israelites have had manna, they've had bread, God has provided them with food. But they want meat. They lose sight of all that God has provided and his promises for them and they begin to grumble and complain. Firstly, they go to Moses rather than God. When we complain, who do we go to first? Do we take our heart to God? Or do we complain to others? If we're complaining about problems in the church, do we expect our leaders to respond rather than chatting to God first? The Israelites were focused on their own comfort and happiness and lost sight of God's kingdom and righteousness. Camping in the wilderness would have been unpleasant. It wasn't the promised land, but perhaps people just needed to adjust to the reality of their journey, acknowledging that yes it might be uncomfortable but that God was still good and his promises were still true. And I wonder is this ever true for us in our lives? Do we lose sight of God's promises, never fully being satisfied, always asking for more? There is always hope. God has promised us so much as his children but we can lose sight of that. We can forget and need to come back to him again. Perhaps this feels true in the current coronavirus crisis more than ever. Church doesn't look normal and community is difficult. But what would happen if what would happen to our hearts if instead of complaining, we chatted honestly with God? If we acknowledge that maybe this is a situation that we have to live with for the present and ask God to speak to us in it if we asked him to help us to help our leaders at church as they lead us through it. If we adjusted to the reality of this journey, knowing we're in a tough place, but focusing on God's promises and all we have to look forward to, how might that change our hearts right now? The Israelites didn't do that. We see they complained to Moses and it got too much for him. He feels frustrated and he feels despondent. And the definition of despondent is being unhappy because you're experiencing difficulties which you think you won't be able to overcome. Hopelessness. Moses becomes hopeless because he listened to the Israelites complaining about problems he could not fix. Where in the wilderness was he going to get enough meat to feed two and a half million people? Letting complaints and impossible demands get to you is a surefire way to head towards hopelessness. 
as well as letting the complaints get to him, Moses tried to do it by himself. We'll look in a moment at how God instructs Moses to build community and we'll see how there were other leaders amongst the people who perhaps he could have already turned to. However, Moses took it all upon himself. He tried to do everything on his own and he burned out. Finally, like the Israelites, in spite of all he's experienced and knows about God, Moses forgets God's power and promises. He loses sight of hope and he cries out, asking why God has put this burden on him. He loses focus on God and he's overwhelmed by the burden of looking after the Israelites. It's hard not to feel for Moses. Things have gotten too much and understandably so. And he's not the first leader in the Bible to have gotten to that place of despondency. Job suffered and wished he could die. Jeremiah wished he had never been born. Jonah wanted God to judge the people of Nineveh and to kill him. Elijah, who had seen God do the most incredible things, asked God to take his life. The Bible doesn't shy away from sharing people's deepest, darkest feelings. In fact, the Bible normalises them. It makes it clear that all emotions are valid. So we see Moses here, completely hopeless, frustrated and just totally fed up. He cries out to God, I'm sick and tired of this. If you really love me, Lord, kill me right now. He's not in a good place, but he prays honestly from his heart. And what we see is that God won't answer Moses' request, but he will answer the prayer of his heart. Moses doesn't want to see his own hopelessness, his own ruin, but this again is another prayer God won't answer. God wants Moses to see himself. He wants him to see his inability to fix the problem without God. When Moses acknowledges his weakness, then he can be strong in God's strength, like it says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9. When we're completely overwhelmed with hopelessness, what do we do? Do we take those feelings to God and let go of them? Or do we have a tendency to shut down? I remember once at university I was with a girl who was a relatively new Christian and she was feeling very angry about some stuff from her past and wanted a chat about what the Bible said or could you know, offer her in this time of processing. And I suggested that we pray. And she said, I can't talk to God. I'm so angry at him. She didn't think that she could come before God and express her deepest, darkest feelings, her anger and her frustration. And how often do we do that, I wonder? Dwell on the anger, groan to others, like the Israelites did, perhaps, and not take our honest prayers straight to God. Sometimes perhaps we think we need to act like everything's okay, to put on a brave face, to not cry. But in the Bible, when people came before God, when Moses came before God, he doesn't tell him not to feel what he's feeling. In fact, God acknowledges that the burden is big and he helps him work his way through it. God doesn't always take away the storm, but he is with us in it. He teaches us in relationship with him. He doesn't necessarily fix our feelings, but he walks alongside us in our hopelessness. Moses' reaction here might seem extreme, perhaps because we're not always very good at talking about despondency and depression. The Bible is full of encouragement for us in hard times, making it abundantly clear that times will be hard and our faith will be tested. Feeling despondent and losing hope is normal 
But even though we sometimes lose sight of it, there is always hope. In fact, this is the overarching message of scripture. Genesis 1 and 2 are full of hope. And then from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, we encounter hopelessness until that day we are with God again in heaven. Every good story follows that same narrative. It's why we watch superhero films like the Marvel ones. They follow this hope, despondency, hope cycle. Losing hope is normal, yet sometimes we can find it hard to be open and honest and bring our hopelessness before God. All emotions are valid and God knows and expects them all. He wants us to connect with him and for us to pour out our hearts honestly in relationship with him. So Moses pours out his heart and he's totally honest with God. God doesn't fix the feeling, and he doesn't tell, but he doesn't tell him not to feel it. Let's look at what he does to meet Moses' needs. It's verse 16 and 17. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. If you've heard me preach before, or if you know me, you'll know I love this solution. God suggests community. Life for Moses probably could have been quite lonely. Given what we know about him, he may have been one of the only males his age in his community. He had his brother, but he hadn't always been the wisest person to go to. In fact, when Moses was being picked for leadership, there may not have been that many contenders for the position. And leading people who complained as much as the Israelites was probably quite lonely. So what instructions does God give Moses for building community? Well, firstly, he told him to pick people who were leaders and officials. Not to pick the people he thought should become leaders, but those who were already known because of their wisdom and ministry to others. These were people already chosen by God and recognised by the people. So he's telling people, so he's telling Moses to pick people who God has already said are wise. Secondly, he says, get them so that they may stand there with you. The call for this community was to stand alongside Moses before God, to support Moses with their presence. A simple but powerful act when Moses has been serving alone in leadership and feeling alone in his hopelessness. Thirdly, God says in verse 17, I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. This community are to have the same heart, vision and spirit that was on Moses. They're to have God's heart so they can serve well. And I think it's important to note that God doesn't say, pick people who share your vision but that they will share God's vision. They will serve in agreement with one another, but challenge and encourage one another as together they pursue God's heart. And finally, in verse 17 as well, he says, they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. This community was going to help Moses carry the weight spiritually to help him care for the people and support him in ministry. God acknowledges that it is a burden. He acknowledges that it is hard and he provides community to help Moses, to ensure Moses doesn't have to carry it alone. 
God gives Moses instructions to create intentional community. So how do we create community like that for ourselves? Is our community built of people who are full of godly wisdom and who challenge us to connect with God? Do we have community who simply stand alongside us in God's presence? Do we share God's vision and heart with these people? When you feel burdened by what God has put on your heart, do you have people to help you care and hold the weight of that burden? How do we get that? I've just finished listening to John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and he talks a lot about intentional living. And I think that's the key word here, intentional. Intentionality. The community that Moses was to create didn't just happen organically. God gave him specific instructions to intentionally build that community. And we can do the same. We can choose, like the characters in the Bible who shared their utter joy and hopelessness, to be honest and vulnerable with God and with our community, allowing our relationships to go deeper, sharing our hearts and challenging each other to draw closer to God. And we can seek out those people who want to stand alongside and invite them into community with us. When we first arrived at Greyfriars, we were trying to figure out what our community might look like, and we had lots of people welcoming us. One of those couples was Arvon and Sue Rees, and a week later we were in their garden having lunch. Partly, we pushed it because we really wanted to be fed, and now having tasted Arvon's cooking, we know that wasn't a wrong decision. <laughs> but mostly, when we met them, we sensed that they were wise, and we wanted to be in community with them. And they, amongst others, are people who we have sought to be in community with, to connect with regularly, to have our kids get to know to know that they are standing alongside us in God's presence and that they are people that we can go to if we feel alone. Another example for me is that when I began preaching at Greyfriars, Dan Bright, our youth pastor, and I started to chat through our sermons together if we were preaching, finding time to chat through our thoughts and listen to God for one another. In fact, this week he knew I was preaching and before I even asked, he asked me if I wanted to chat it through. Even in lockdown, he was stood alongside me in community. As it turned out, it's a good thing we did chat, as I was preparing the same response he'd planned for his sermon next week, so you'll be pleased to know you won't get a repeat. I've changed mine. <laughs> perhaps you can picture now who those people are in your community, or perhaps you don't have those people, and today is an opportunity to ask God who the wise people you need to invite into community are. The people who will stand alongside you, reminding you of God's promises and power. So I wanted to finish before we move into response with two questions. Firstly, what would it look like today if you were totally, utterly, completely honest with God, whether you're feeling hopeful, despondent or anything else in between? And secondly, how might you get intentional in creating community.